have your Bible, I have mine. Uh, find Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. Um, I did want to just spend just a few minutes this morning continuing our study through Acts before you guys tune in to the, to the live stream at 1045. If you, if you didn't know, we are going to have a, a live streamed um, main worship service um, from the sanctuary. Uh, just go to lakeviewbaptist.org and you can find that. Adam will uh, lead in a few songs and Brother Al will, will preach and you can tune into that at 1045 and I hope you will do that. And I hope also that um, if you guys typically give your offering um, to Lakeview, uh, that you will, you will continue to do that. You can do that in a lot of ways. The easiest way to do it is just uh, give online or give via text. You can find that information on the, on the website as well. The reason I ask you that is just because the ministries are ongoing here even when we're not physically meeting together, um, especially as time rolls on and we have a lot of um, benevolence needs and things like that. Uh, we need, we need uh, our regular contributions coming in to carry on those ministries to people who need to be helped. So, uh, yeah, if you, uh, if you normally give your offering, don't, please, please continue to do that even if you're not here for those, those gospel reasons. All right, um, we're trying to keep up with our study through Acts as best we can, and uh, we've been thinking through this this great narrative of the early church. Remember that that Acts um, covers about the first thirty years or so after the death and resurrection of Christ. It opened up in chapter one with the ascension of Christ, forty days after his resurrection, and then chapter two was. Um, the, the, the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost, which was 10 days after that. Remember, Jesus told him in chapter 1, stay here in Jerusalem uh, and wait because something big is about to happen. And it was. And 10 days later, as they were gathered praying, the Holy Spirit came down. That's how the book began. began. And just as Acts 1-8 said, we've seen the gospel spread from Jerusalem to outward to, to the rest of Judea and Samaria. You see that beginning in chapter 8. Um, over the persecution and, and martyrdom of Stephen and the church spread out because of that persecution. It spread to the rest of Judea and Samaria. And then from there, really all the gospel into the world of the, the Gentiles, beginning with Peter and Cornelius in chapter 10, but especially with the ministry of the apostle Paul, who went on three different missionary journeys. And you can read about those beginning in chapter 13. Um, but how, we're in chapter 24. How do we get where we are in chapter 24? Well, you know, Paul made three missionary journeys, and uh, along those missionary journeys, especially in the later ones, the Holy Spirit began impressing upon Paul that at some point he was, while he was in the world of the Gentiles, at some point he was going to go back to Jerusalem. And when he was in Jerusalem, he would, have, he would face afflictions and imprisonment, which he did. Like he went back to Jerusalem and you remember how in chapter 21, uh, Paul was arrested because the Jews there in Jerusalem had stirred up a riot uh, over Paul and his preaching. Paul didn't really do anything, but they had heard about Paul and they didn't like Paul. So they, they stirred up a riot. Uh, they began beating Paul and his companions until the, the Roman authorities rushed in, stopped the riot, rescued Paul in the midst of being beaten and carried him off uh, and arrested him. They, initially, they thought 
that the Roman soldiers thought that Paul was somebody else. That's the reason they rushed so quickly to save him. But that's the Lord's mercy on Paul uh, and, and to get him out of there so quickly. But, but since chapter 21 and since they arrested him there, he's been a prisoner ever since. And he will be a prisoner till the end of the book in chapter 28. So, um, but we have seen even in that incarceration that, um, that the Jews still plotted to kill him in different ways. We saw it in chapter 23. Remember they took a stupid vow not to eat or drink until they had, they had killed Paul. And do you remember, this was this one of my favorite parts about Acts. Do you remember back in that chapter, we pointed out from Romans chapter 15 how that, that part where he asks the church in Rome. He would have already written this letter when chapter 23 happens. He asks the church in Rome to be praying for him uh, when he goes through this ordeal. And so we know that the church in Rome was praying fall at this precise moment. So when the Jews were plotting and had vowed not to eat or drink until they killed Paul, and they made this plan how to, how to kill him and kill him quickly, um, the Lord answered the prayers of the church in Rome by sending Paul's nephew who overheard their plot, who told Paul, who then told the Roman soldiers, who then foiled the plot, and Paul was saved. You wonder at which point the, the Jews were like, all right, guys, that was a dumb plan. <laughs> uh, let's eat. Um, but anyway, we're in the neighborhood of Acts where Paul is in prison, will be for the rest of the book, but what we're going to see in these last chapters are Paul being passed from one governing authority to the next, uh, standing trial after trial after trial uh, before eventually he would make his way to Rome and await trial before Caesar himself. We don't have the account of the actual trial before, uh, of Paul before Caesar. Um, when the book ends in chapter 28, uh, Luke is writing about Paul just still waiting in his cell there in Rome, awaiting trial before Caesar, but that's how the book ends. But here in chapter 24, which we're going to read in just a minute, um, Paul is just another step up the legal ladder as far as his trials go. He's already testified before the Jews and the Roman Tribune was there. And here he's going to move a step up and testify before Felix the governor. We'll think a little bit about him. Then later he's going to testify before the guy who succeeded him uh, named Festus, who would send him on to Agrippa, another king, who would then send him on to Caesar. So just one trial, one trial after another. I want to point out, though, and I pointed this out the last time I think we gathered together in chapter 23, how many, it's amazing how many opportunities the Lord gave to Paul to testify to the Lord Jesus Christ before people in high places, even in his imprisonment. I mean, okay, and I want you to think about this in terms of the fact that I'm in the fellowship hall all by myself right now. I don't know where you are, maybe in your home, maybe in Auburn, maybe at home home, and maybe you're just there with a friend or by yourself, I don't know. Maybe you feel a bit isolated. Maybe you feel a bit, a bit uh, quite a social distance from everybody else. Think about, and, 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 and in that way, our situation right now sort of mirrors in, a, in some way Paul's who was isolated in prison. And he, he was not able to go about and see all his all the churches that he helped plant all throughout the Gentile world. He was confined there in prison. Uh, and yet all the opportunities that, that the Lord gave to Paul, even in that isolation, uh, to bear witness before, before uh, kings and people in high places, think about the fact that 
many of the letters that we have in our New Testament today were written by Paul during this period. And we're still reading them and benefiting from them 2,000 years later. Don't underestimate what the Lord can do in you, with you, for you, through you uh, during this time of, of sort of seclusion and isolation. Uh, it's, it's, it's remarkable what he did through Paul. And, and God had promised to do that for Paul when, when in Acts chapter 9. Remember when, when the Lord saved him. He met him on the road to Damascus. Uh, and he blinded him, and then he was helped during that time of blindness by a man named Ananias. And remember, he told, he told Ananias, uh, who was helping them, he, the Lord told Ananias about Paul. He said in, in Acts 9.15 that Paul was a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So we've, we've been seeing for chapter after chapter that he was Paul carried the the name of Christ to the Gentiles, three missionary journeys to the world of the Gentiles. We've seen in, in, in chapters uh, 21, 22, 23 that he was bearing his name before the Jews in Jerusalem. And now, as we get to chapter 24, 25, 26, all the way to the end of the, to the chapter, the Lord is now fulfilling his, his plan for Paul to carry the name of Christ before kings and before those in high places, all the way up to Caesar. So I guess the moral of this little part of the story is don't waste your difficulties, you know. Don't waste your difficulties. God does not put Romans 8.28 on pause or on hold when you're in the middle of a, of a hard or an unusual season. Uh, no matter what kind, God works all things together for good for those who uh, love him and are called according to his purpose. Not most things, not some things, all things even even um, forced isolation. Well, before we think about the chapter for a few minutes, we need to read it together as we normally do. So if you have your Bible uh, open to, to Acts chapter 24, let's do read it together beginning in verse 1. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and spokesmen, and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you, he's talking to, to Felix, Since through you, Felix, we enjoy so much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man, Paul, a plague who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor not, had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring against me. By this I confess to you that according to the way which, is, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men 
themselves except, except that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now after several years I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they thought uh, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years, think about that, when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do, to, to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Let's pray. Father, this that we just read is your holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, clear, and necessary word. We confess that we believe that. We know it to be true, even many times if, we, if our feelings deceive us. It is objectively those things. And so, Father, we ask that as we consider this word, that you would give us minds to understand the truth. Give us minds to understand what we just read and the, and the truth that you have for us today in it. And then would you give us hearts to embrace and love, love the truth that you have taught us here. And then wills to obey whatever you would have us to, to heed. Please give us all ears to hear. And give me the help that I need to teach. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, this is a pretty uh, straightforward chapter, uh, at least for the first two-thirds of it. Simply, The first two-thirds of the chapter is simply outlining the trial. I mean, Felix is like, all right, guys, you go first. And the Jews uh, present their case. And then Paul responds and pre presents his defense. Uh, but the most interesting part of the uh, chapter is the last third of it when Felix has to decide the case and he has to deliberate what was said. Uh, so I'll, I'll just say a few things about the trial um, because they do, the trials do sometimes sound an awful lot alike after a while because Paul is consistent with his testimony, sharing the gospel over and over again, which is a good thing. But I want to say a little more about the latter part of the chapter um, as Felix decides what to do with what Paul said at the trial. Then we'll have some questions to think about at the end, which I will uh, post on the group me um, afterwards. And just to remind some of you, uh, if you weren't here early on, um, the, the audio, Lord willing, the audio of this lesson is going to be on our podcast in, uh, in short order. 
All right, and then we'll have plenty of time before the live stream of the main service coming up. That being said, here's how we're going to break down this chapter and, and think about it. In verses 1 to 21, if you're taking notes, in verses 1 to 21, we're going to think about the defense, that, that what their accusations against Paul were, and then what, were Paul, what was Paul's defense uh, in his response. So verses 1 to 21 is the defense, and then beginning in verse 22 through the end of the chapter, we'll think about the deliberation of Felix over Paul's message. So let's just say um, a couple of words first about the trial and Paul's defense. We're told at the end of chapter 23, we haven't looked at that in a couple of weeks, but we were told at the end of chapter 23 that uh, Paul had been brought to Felix in Caesarea, Philippi. Uh, before we, before we uh, get to the trial and what Paul said in his defense, I do want to say a word about Felix, okay? So I told you when we were in chapter 23 that I would give you a little insight into Felix when we get to chapter 24. So I think it's helpful to, to think through, to do a little digging and find out about some of these rulers that Paul's standing before. It kind of helps you, it kind of adds to the, to the real-lifeness of, of the chapter because you understand that Paul was a real guy and he was standing before a real governor in real time and space in the real world, which in many ways was just like the world we live in today. Um, Felix was the governor of Judea, and he was governor from around A.D. 52 to A.D. 58 or 59. So seven or eight years he was the governor of Judea. We know a little bit about him from ancient uh, historians, ancient sources, uh, specifically uh, the Roman historian Tacitus, ancient historian Tacitus, and Suetonius. So uh, from those two historians, we learned that Felix, as a ruler, was ruthlessly violent and was uh, a hedonist. <laughs> so, I mean, he loved every pleasure and every form of prosperity he could get his hands on, that he could pursue or purchase. So he married three different women, all of uh, royal descent or from royal families. We're told about one of those wives in this chapter when it mentions Drusilla. That was one of his wives. Uh, she was the daughter of King Agrippa, who we're going to read about in the next chapter. Um, but one of his wives also, just interestingly, was the, was the granddaughter of Antony and Cleopatra. You may have heard of Cleopatra and, and, um, and Antony. Uh, one of his wives was their, their granddaughter. And just having married three women, all of, um, all of sort of royal lineage, you, you do, based on what you read in the rest of this chapter, you probably understand that he married into those families for the money. <laughs> I mean, for the, for the prosperity and the prominence that they could have brought him. And, um, and, and, and he hoped to find a fortune in those marriages. And that's, keep that in mind because... Uh, that's going to come up, I think, later in the chapter. You may have noticed it when we read it together. But there's another reason why he may have had a thirst for money, not just because he liked it, but because we also know from these historians that he had a love for money and a penchant for violence because uh, Felix, in his earlier life, was a slave. Okay, in, in his younger life, Felix was a slave in the Roman world. And he had, at some point in time, either 
purchased or was pardoned or somebody else purchased his freedom. So Felix was a, a freed slave. And Tacitus, the Roman historian, he, he always uh, thought that you were sort of born in a certain station of life and no matter where you went in the rest of your life, your true colors would come out. <laughs> and he, so he wrote about Felix in that way that as a prosecutor, the, the freed slave Felix, here, here are Tacitus's word, that Felix, quote, practiced, he practiced every kind of cruelty and lust, wielding the power of a king with all the instincts of a slave. Just think about that. Felix practiced every kind of cruelty and lust, wielding the power of a king with the instincts of a slave. So that's, at the very least, he was an unstable guy. Uh, He was anti-Semitic, so he didn't like the Jews. He was often brutally violent in the way he would put down riots and rebellions. So... Uh, it was a mercy of God that when the riot broke out in Jerusalem uh, over Paul, when the Roman soldiers came and rescued Paul, uh, it wasn't as violent as it often was. In fact, when, when, when um, Felix was removed from office uh, seven or eight years into his tenure, that was the reason because it was just known that he was overly brutal in, in suppressing re- uh, riots. So he was removed from office, which is why Festus came into office. Well, this was the guy that Paul was about to stand trial before. And again, uh, you you see another, um, going back to chapter 23, we see another grace of God that when when the trial or the case came before Felix, he quickly agreed to hear it. I mean, he didn't like the Jews, but he quickly, he nevertheless quickly uh, agreed to hear the case. And, and the way they got him out of that riot caused Paul no harm. So the Lord was still answering the prayers of the church in Rome in, in Romans 15. But the day of the trial comes, and the Jews present their case first. Think about this case. Um, it tells us in the first verse that Ananias, the high priest, was there. So even though the high priest himself was, um, was there in person and a number of the high-ranking elders among the Jews were there in person. They aren't the ones who speak. They are not the ones who bring the accusation against Paul. Instead, they hired a lawyer <laughs> whose name was Tertullus. Think about that name, Tertullus. I don't know if that it, uh, sounds a way to you, but it's a, it's a Latin name. It's a Roman name. Um, and... And uh, clearly they hired this guy to try to curry favor with Felix. Uh, He has a Roman name. He likely spoke Greek and Latin very fluently, which would have appealed to to Felix. But we also know, and he leaves this little... He doesn't even specifically say this, but you kind of infer it from the passage. He's also a Jew. Tertullus is a Jew because when when he speaks in his defense, he... He says, we and us, when he's talking about the Jews. So he lumps himself into that group, but he kind of keeps that uh, under the radar, so to speak. The most prominent thing about him is his name and the way he speaks and the language he speaks. That's what they hoped Felix would have heard. 
So Tertullus begins to speak, and he goes on and on and on. What we have here are just highlights of the trial. Luke is not a, uh, he's not taking detailed, like, uh, dictation or anything. He's just giving you the bullet points of the trial. And you get from what Luke does say that Tertullus went on and on and on with praise of Felix. Um, Tertullus talks about, if you look beginning uh, at the end of verse 2, most excellent Felix. Oh, the reforms you're, you've been made, and, the, and we enjoy so much peace, uh, which was a lie. <laughs> it was not true. I mean, I've already told you that the way, the way uh, Felix brutally hammered down on riots and suppression is the whole reason he was removed from office. What is he talking about, this peace that Felix brought? But he goes on and on and on with effusive praise for Felix. And he finally says in verse 4, if you're looking in your Bible, he says, but to detain you, to detain you no further. That word detain, to detain you no further, it literally means to weary you, to weary you no further. He had praised Felix for a very long time, hoping that, that Felix would just grow to like this guy and just grant whatever he wanted him to grant. And they make two accusations against Paul. One, Paul is a plague. Uh, he stirs up riots, which is not true. Paul was involved in a number of riots over the past chapters, but I invite you to just read, reread the, the earlier chapters of, of um, Acts and find me one riot that Paul actually stirred up himself. Typically, it is other people who don't like Paul who stir up the riot, and then Paul takes the beating or gets the punishment for it. Okay, so the first accusation is he, he's, a, he's a, a, a plague who stirs up riots. Why do you think that was their first accusation? They know Felix's attitude toward riots and rebellion. Uh, so they want to say this guy is, is enemy number one when it comes up to stirring up uh, rebellion. And knowing that, that Felix not only hated uh, riots, but he hated Jews, the, 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 they accused Paul of being, as they put it in verse 5, um, that he is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. By that they mean he's a Christian, right? But they want to they name him as a Christian in a way that also highlights his Jewishness. Um, he's just an errant Jew. What do, you, what do you mean the ringleader of the Nazarenes? They take that from Jesus of Nazareth, right? So appealing to Felix's violence, he stirs up riots and appealing to his anti-Semitism. He follows this Jew, Jesus from Nazareth. Uh, they use this against Paul while they hide behind a lawyer who technically is Jewish, but he looks and sounds Roman. The second accusation they bring against Paul was that he, he, he uh, tried, and he did, profane the temple. It says that in verse 6. He profaned the temple. Uh, we've already seen that that's not the case. Uh, he was there to, to take a Nazarite vow according to the, the Old Testament law. He was purifying himself according to the Old Testament law. They simply knew that Paul uh, ministered among the Gentiles. And they saw a guy with Paul and assumed that he was a Gentile. They assumed it. 
They assumed, oh, this guy's brought a Gentile into the temple. So they, are, they, they mobbed him <laughs> and caused the riot. But Paul was not the, the, the instigator of that. But when Paul stands to give his defense, he easily dismissed the, 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 the accusations they made. But the high point of his defense comes in verses 13 through 16. Look at that again with me, verses 13 through 16. He says, Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me, but this I confess to you, that according to the way, capital W, which they call, they call a sect, he, and Paul is saying, they call it a sect. I'm telling you, this is the fulfillment of the whole thing. I, I am, I am uh, the culmination of what all of it was pointing to. They think I'm just a random sect of their religion. But he says, I confess this to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law, everything laid down in the law, and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. What is Paul doing when he says that? He's bearing witness to Christ. Uh, it may not seem like it, like it at, first, at first glance, but they, when they accuse him, uh, of being a Christian, they, they say they, he's a sect of the Nazarenes, right? They don't want to give it a, uh, the name that Paul would like. Uh, well, Paul responds by saying, I believe the same scriptures they say they believe, and, but he interprets it as someone who belongs to Paul. Paul doesn't say, yes, I'm a sect of the Nazarenes. He said, I belong to the way, the way, capital W, which was a, the way at this point in, in history, the way was a, a known and used reference uh, to Christianity. We'll, we'll see later in the chapter, in verse 22, when, when verse 22 says that Felix had a rather accurate knowledge of the way. So even among the authorities, this they didn't necessarily call it Christianity officially yet, but they had to call it something. And they called it the way. And, peop, and, and even Felix knew about it. And Paul, in his defense, is saying that in that way he is believing on Christ. He belongs to the way, which, which points forward to Christ. And Christ is the hope of their scriptures. He's the hope of the, of the Jewish scriptures. And in him is the resurrection, not just the resurrection, the general resurrection of, of everyone. In him is the resurrection of the just. In him, the, those who are blessed will be resurrected. And in him, our conscience can be clean before God. I mean, he's bearing witness in his defense to the truth of the gospel, both to Felix and to the Jews who were falsely accusing him. And he concludes in verse 21, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you this day. So Paul has defended himself, but more than anything, he's borne witness to Christ. And this is, you're going to see this over and over again in trial after trial after trial. Paul's even more than wanting to defend himself. I mean, he does defend himself when, he, when easily done so. But more than anything else, he just wants to bear witness to Christ. Um, and so God has given him favor to defend himself in this trial, but also to have the opportunity to bear witness to Christ, which he's ably done. When we ask for the Lord's help, here's, a, here's just something to take away from that. When we ask for the Lord's help in a situation, especially a difficult one, as I'm sure that Paul did in this one, and, in, and, and 
as the church in Rome, as they were praying for him, according to Romans 15, they were asking that the Lord would help Paul in this trial. The way that the Lord answered Paul um, in this matter was not delivering him from the time of trial, but to help him in the midst of the time of trial, to exalt Christ in the midst of the time of trial. In other words, the Lord helped Paul for sure, and he did work for Paul's good, but also for Christ's glory. And we can be sure that when our aim is, is asking uh, for the Lord's help to bear witness to Christ, he will give us that opportunity to bear witness to Christ. And he will work for our good as well if we will trust his word and, and trust his word more than our assumptions while trying to see his good in it. I mean, Paul was still in prison but the Lord was working for Paul's good. Uh, so Paul had given his defense and borne witness to Christ, and now it's up to Felix to decide the case. And uh, so in the few minutes we have left, I want to just take very quick notice of something that we see in Paul's interaction with Felix as we think about the, um, the deliberation of Felix over this case. Look, me, look with me toward the end of the chapter, picking up with uh, verse 22 to the end of the chapter. So this, this, this last third of the chapter is remarkable to me. I want to keep our eyes on Felix. Just keep your eyes fixed on Felix and what Luke tells us, not only about Paul in this way, but, but why it is that Felix does not believe what Paul uh, has to say, even though moved by it. Look again at verse 22. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias the tribune comes to town, I will decide your case. I've already mentioned this verse, but still, what is noteworthy about what what's noteworthy about that uh, description that Felix had a rather accurate knowledge of the way. Specifically, he's a Roman governor, and he knew he knew something about Christianity. We've already said something about that, but Felix had a rather accurate knowledge of the Christian faith, and to me, that's that's noteworthy because we've already seen some in the Book of Acts, some believers in the Book of Acts. Uh, Particularly Ananias, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, some just a few chapters back, uh, who who had uh, were believers but didn't have a, a, a totally accurate knowledge of the way. But Felix did. I don't know how he how he had a an accurate knowledge of the way. Um, maybe maybe some others had stood trial before him, and uh, and through that he learned. But Luke tells him. Luke tells us that he sent Paul away for a while and then brought him back later on to hear more from him. And it tells, them, tells us that when Paul came back, he reinforced whatever accurate knowledge that Felix already had. According to verse 24, Felix heard Paul speak about faith in Christ Jesus. How did Paul speak about faith in Christ? As it tells us uh, in, 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 in a few uh, verses later, he says in verse 25, uh, that, that faith in Christ Jesus, in, it says, involves, he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. So he was bold and told, told Felix, there's an authority above you, and it's even above Caesar himself. And it even says in, uh, in, in the passage that Felix was alarmed by this. Felix had already heard the gospel, and according to the text, he already knew it in an accurate way to some extent. So Paul was just confirming, apparently, some of what he already knew, maybe adding some things that he didn't already know, and he was moved in some way by it. 
But knowing that, knowing that Felix, it says he was alarmed by this, alarmed by it. Um, yeah, even though it says that, notice what he does in response. Uh, it, 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 it says, what did he do with that alarm? It says in verse 26, at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent Paul away, not that so, so that he would um, do what he should have done with his alarm and consider the matter further. He, he sent Paul away hoping that Paul would get tired of being in jail and offer him money and bribe him to get out of, out of jail. And when Paul didn't do that, he sent Paul back to his cell where he stayed for two years. <laughs> um, and that's likely, by the way, when he wrote many of the letters that we have, his prison epistles uh, in the New Testament. Again, God was working for his glory and for Paul's good. So Paul was protected in prison uh, by the Lord because we're going to see in the next chapter, chapter 25, that the Jews make another plot to kill Paul. But his, his being in prison helped him in that time. But what, what about Felix? The love of money, the love of money kept Felix from believing. The man who, who started as a slave in life and rose in power and rose in prosperity found his greatest pleasure and joy in those things above any others. The, and the Bible says the love of money has kept many, many people from entering the kingdom. And what I want to say to you is we're, we're foolish. We're absolutely foolish if we think that that's not a warning to us as well. Um, in fact, I believe that that's the reason Luke includes this story. Um, it, Luke says that Felix had an accurate knowledge of the faith, presumably as well as some of the believers we've encountered already in Acts. But knowledge was not enough, right? It's the love of the truth. It's the love of the truth, not just the knowledge of the truth. It's the love of it and then obedience to it that saves. That's why we pray every time we open the Scriptures together. I mean, we pray that prayer so much. You, you may, could, and I hope you do, pray it yourself when you open the Scriptures. That we know that this is His uh, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And we not only uh, ask for His help to understand it with our minds, but what next? To embrace and love it in our hearts. Uh, Paul says in, in, in uh, I think it's 2 Thessalonians, it may be 1 Thessalonians, but he talks in one of those letters about some who refused to love the truth and so be saved. That's, that's where, where uh, Felix went astray, and that's where we go astray every, every time the love of money keeps us from the kingdom. Um, and and, and, and we, we see that, uh, that Luke is writing this not only to tell us about Felix, but to... to uh, uh, to give the warning to us as well. Uh, so how do we fight it? How do we fight it? Jesus said you cannot love both God and money. Um, Felix couldn't and we couldn't. So how do you fight it? Because our culture, the culture we live in, is an ocean of material prosperity. Um, 
with a very strong current. Uh, so you, 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 you fight it in several ways. I mean, and I, I can't give you every way that we fight it. I mean, uh, there are probably more that I'm going to mention. But one for sure is to stay in the Word of God every day and ask the Lord to change your heart through it. Merely being in the Word is not going to do anything. Asking His help uh, as you're in the Word is what helps. The psalmist prayed to the Lord Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart. My heart's divided. Part of it loves you. Part of it loves the world. Part of it loves you. Part of it loves money. Unite my heart to fear your name alone. Ask the Lord's help. Be in the word and ask the Lord's help uh, to, to uh, give you a love for him through it. Another thing is live simply. Live simply. Um, and and, and don't, don't live beyond your, your means. That, there's a joy in that and a safety in that. And you do that also. You, li- you live simply, not just so that um, you don't put your hope and trust in material things, but living simply and not living beyond your means gives you the ability to give your means and give your money generously. Um, Corey Ten Boom was a Holocaust survivor. She was a very devout Christian. If you have not read Corey Ten Boom's um, book, The Hiding Place, that needs to be the next book you read. I'm not even kidding. While you're, while you're social distancing and you're looking for something to read, get your hands on a copy, digital or otherwise, of Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place. Read it, and you'll probably want to turn around and read it again. But she was famous for saying often... Um, to hold everything you have. She was careful not to say everything you own because you don't own it. The Lord owns it. But hold everything you have um, in an open hand, right? Uh, That's good counsel to guard your own heart against the love of money. Scripture tells us also in in, uh, 2 Timothy about a man named Demas. We've talked about him before who was a partner with Paul in missionary journeys for a time, but who deserted him at some point, presumably deserted the faith altogether because, as Paul puts it to Timothy, Demas was, quote, in love with the present world. He was in love with the present world. You put those two things together. If, if the love of money kept Felix from believing, he knew it, he didn't love it. If the love of money kept Felix from following Christ, and it kept Demas from following him to the end. I mean, it can do the same to us. It doesn't mean you can lose your salvation. It may reveal that you never were born again to begin with. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I, we'll just, th- what I want to say is, is if, if there's anything that we can take away from Acts chapter 24, it's not just that the Lord was faithful to Paul during his time uh, in, in imprisonment. But, he was all, but it's also a sobering word of warning to us about the love of money in this last chapter. Our greater knowledge just makes us more accountable. So we should be thankful uh, for the warnings that God has peppered all throughout his word for our good.